Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Hi, and welcome. I'm Davina Frederick, host of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast and the founder of Wealthy Woman Lawyer. We help women law firm owners scale to and through a million dollars in gross annual revenue in their law firm businesses. And we are here today talking with Holly Draper of the Draper Law Firm in McKinney, Texas. I'm so excited that you're here. Holly, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Great. So tell me uh, about the Draper Firm and how you serve your clients. What, what do you do? What is your area of practice? So the Draper Law Firm is a almost fully virtual family law firm. We do divorce, child custody, child support, adoptions, um, anything under the family law umbrella. And we also do family law appeals. How long have you been in practice? How long have you, how long have you had the business? I started the firm in 2008. I, I've been practicing since 2004. So I had a brief stint in a mid-sized civil defense firm before getting out on my own and starting the firm. Yeah. So what made you decide that it was finally time to start your own law firm? Was it something that you'd always had as a goal or was it something that just kind of evolved? It had, well, it didn't happen the way that I would have intended it to happen, but it worked out for the best. Um, I always wanted to have my own business. My dad had his own business. I've been very entrepreneurial my whole life, Uh, but I started out in, as I said, a mid-sized civil defense firm. And I thought, okay, I need to be done having children. I need to have X dollars in the bank. I need to have Y number of clients I'm already going to be taking with me. So I felt like I was a very long way away from actually being ready to start my own firm. And then I had my daughter in my first child, my daughter in November of 2007, go out on maternity leave for three months, come back, November is also when new attorneys are licensed in Texas. So all the new attorneys came in, took over my turf, came back, never got another big case. And it was 2008 at that point, economy was terrible. Lawyers were losing their jobs all over the place. And I ended up being a casualty of that recession. And some, you know, I was looking for other jobs and panicking because I have this new little baby and I had none of those things on my list that I thought I needed in order to start my own firm. But I had a little bit of business just so happened to fall into my lap. It wasn't family law, it was something else. And I thought, you know what, what better way to start than being pushed into it? So I started in 2008 and took me about five years to feel like I was not worried constantly about where the next client was going to come from. But in the end, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me was losing that job. That's so interesting that you say that. I have had many experiences in my life where I thought something really bad had just happened and it turned out to be the best thing because sometimes we get locked into a comfort zone where we are with where we are. Even if it's not satisfactory, we get locked into that. And then we're so we're nestled down and we're not going to move from it because it's just comfortable enough to deal with the headache of it. So oftentimes I really view it as a gift when something doesn't turn out maybe the way that I anticipate it will, because usually it's the universe sort of holding up a mirror to me and showing me there's something else that I meant to do that's better for me. Did you have a moment like that where you felt that or did it take you many years to sort of reflect on that and go, okay, maybe that was a good thing? It didn't take that long to realize it was a good thing. Um, I ended up having my second and last child, you know, two years later. And by having my own practice, it allowed me to be there a lot more and have full control over what I was doing, where I was going, how much I was working. So it didn't take long. There was a lot of stress early on about how am I going to get business? How am I going to support my family? Because I was really the primary breadwinner, but just kept going and made a lot of mistakes along the way. But got there. So how, how did you get business when you started out? So when I started, I thought I have to take whatever walks through the door. 
and was very general practice. I had never done family law. I didn't take family law in law school, no intent of specializing in family law at that point in time. Um, some what the business that had fallen into my lap was some collections type work, working with a, a company that did debt stuff for consumers. So that was not full-time work, but it was enough to pay the bills and work on building up other business. You know, I am a huge uh, Facebook fan and I've long gotten a lot of business by just talking about what I do on Facebook and sharing with my network about what I'm doing. Um, If I had known then what I know now, I would have done different things to get business. Um, But one thing kind of led to another. And as I started having family law cases trickle in, I realized I actually really like family law. I feel like I'm helping people. I, I wanted to be a litigator and family law was a much faster pace of litigation than big firm litigation where representing big companies, cases that, Mm -hmm. you know, fill up your room with documents, uh, like the pace of family law a lot better. So over time, I gradually funneled down and specialized more and more to get to the point where family law was all that I did. I have, it has always been said to me from various mentors and other attorney colleagues that family law is a love it or hate it situation that people either really gravitate toward it, or they're like, I never want to do family law again. What is it about family law that you find, uh, besides the fast-paced litigation that you find appealing? Does it, you know, it doesn't stress you out, people with their relationship problems and things like that. How do you deal with that? It can stress you out. Um, We try really hard to catch the red flags early and not represent the people who are going to cause us an undue amount of stress. Some of them get through and there's not a lot you can do about that. But, um, you know, when I was representing major corporations, there was just no personal satisfaction in that. I didn't, you know, I'm representing against the brain injured child or I'm representing against the person who lost their spouse. So it was just so much more personally rewarding to see these people who are in one of the, usually one of the worst times in their life and to help them through it and get them out on the other side in a much better place. Right, right. Um, I had kind of a similar start in my career where uh, where I started out doing representing lenders in foreclosure, and it wasn't something that I loved doing, but it was provided enough bread and butter money for me to then become a better family law attorney, which is really what the main my main focus was that estate planning. Um, so I understand, you know, I think everybody, I think everybody uh, has a unique opportunity at a certain time. And a lot of times we don't see them as opportunities. We we look at them and say, well, I really don't want to do this thing. But it sounds like you had a really good approach and sort of taking whatever came through the door to begin with until you sort of figure out what it was that was appealing to you. Now, the question is, how did you grow from there? Because you have a very unique business model, I think. Um, and I really want to dig into that because I because I think it's unique for a number of reasons. One is you don't see a lot of other attorneys taking this approach, a law firm's taking this approach to growth. And I want to know what your thought process was behind it. So you started out by hiring attorneys instead of staff. Tell me, tell me what that, what was behind that decision? So the very first person that I hired was staff. Um, She was, you know, the answer the phone person and, She wore many hats, legal assistant, calendaring, things of that nature. But when I really wanted to start to grow, the next people that I hired were attorneys. Um, I was super, super scared of hiring an attorney because I thought, how am I going to pay this person? I'm worried about there being enough money coming in to pay myself. And I started out having her just do some contract work. And over time, you know, I realized she really did a good job and I was getting busier and busier. So I finally pulled the trigger and hired her. And after that, as we got busier and grew, we ultimately added more attorneys until we got to a max of five so far. And we didn't add our first paralegal until June of 2021. So we were operating with five attorneys and one staff, and the attorneys were handling a lot of the work that 
many firms have paralegals doing, but we took an approach, a couple of reasons. We thought clients like working with us and don't want to get pawned off on an attorney. And they like that they can call us. And, you know, this was when we weren't quite so busy and we could have a more attorney personal touch with them. But I personally wanted to hire attorneys because they are, they bill at higher rates and they can do everything that I can do. So they can go to court, they can go to mediation, they can handle a case and I can take a vacation and come back and all the work is done. And they, the firm can still be operating. The firm can still make money. And I don't have to be there all the time to make that happen. Whereas if I had hired a bunch of paralegals and I was the only attorney, nothing's really going to be happening unless I'm there. I can't go to trial. I can't go to mediation. Um, paralegals only have so much they can do on their own without an attorney touching it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that is super, super smart. And uh, it, it's really interesting because, you know, I've been coaching for about eight years now and I, I, I see a lot in conversation, not just with uh, clients, but just in the community and on Facebook and uh, in conversations in different groups about uh, attorneys going for years, hiring paralegals, and then they just struggle, struggle, struggle to hire an attorney. And I, and I think there's some fear, like you said, around how am I going to, you know, pay this person? Because there's this idea that they're so much more expensive. And of course, people don't think about this person's making you money, right? You should be covering their cost as well as making you profit, right? But also the, I think there's fear around pay. And then I also think on some level, there's a little imposter syndrome that goes on with people where they think if I bring this attorney in, what if they're smarter than me? What if they are going to judge me and go, well, she's not nearly as good of an attorney as I am, you know, or maybe people have a fear that they're going to come in and they're going to train them and then they're going to turn around and start their own business or whatever. How did you sort of, did you have any of those thoughts? And if so, how did you overcome that? Was it just the fear around being able to pay them or was there something else to it? There was certainly a fear. Once I got past the fear of being able to pay them as I'm adding more people and I need more people because I'm busy, um, was a fear of what if they don't do it the way I would do it? And what if they're not going to be as good in court as I am? And is that fair to the client that, you know, they're hiring our firm because of me and maybe they're getting an attorney that isn't going to be as good as me. And eventually I had to get over that and realize that if I want to build the type of business that I want to have, I have to trust other people. I have to trust that we make good hiring decisions um, I have to trust that I'm making a, a good choice when I'm assigning a particular associate to handle a certain case and that I will have the judgment to know I need to step in and handle a particular issue or this hearing is going to require me, but I don't do that too much anymore. I really like to let everybody else on my team handle almost everything on the case. So your hiring process, uh, I'm sure it's improved over time, probably from when you first started out. But what do you think has been your kind of secret, if you will, to hiring good attorneys right from the beginning? A lot of it was luck. Um, the person, the attorney who's been with me the longest, who's now a partner with my firm, uh, another colleague just happened to introduce us because she was starting her own practice and they knew that I maybe ha would have helpful information as kind of a mentor to this attorney. So mm -hmm. I got to know her that way and ultimately decided to hire her. The first attorneys I hired, at least two after that, were people that I already knew. They had been opposing counsel or I knew them from borrowing organizations, things like that. But all the attorneys that I've hired since then were people I did not know. And so you know, we've learned things along the way of, oh, we better ask this question next time, or we better, you know, make sure we put this in the contract so this problem doesn't happen again. Uh, but we've found most of, all of them, I think, uh, all of our attorneys through, Texas has a lot of really great attorney Facebook groups. And so we share in, you know, the attorney moms group or the Texas family lawyers group and have always gotten a lot of great candidates that way. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute, because uh, I think this is something that really uh, sets you apart, too, in that. So um, 
you've taken the Clifton Strengths analysis and your top like five or six um, characteristics were categorized under influencer. And that's really rare in all of the times that I've helped uh, attorneys go through the Clifton Strengths and evaluate. Um, most of the time you see things like strategic and maybe a little executing and uh, stuff like that. But yours was heavy on the influencing part, which which is really a superpower for you. And I find that to be so interesting because you're, you, uh, I've always used Facebook groups for a lot of, with a lot of good outcomes as well. Um, but you've really taken it to the next level and that you sort of go there for, that's where you've connected with a lot of people, not only people working for you, but also people who work for your business. And you've had a lot of success in that. Can you share some insight and some sort of, uh, tips or for people who really don't know how to do that? They don't know how to leverage Facebook groups? Sure. So my biggest source of business through Facebook is definitely my personal page, not my business page. I do have a business page, but that is, it's much easier to be Facebook friends with people than it is to get them following your page or interacting with your page. So I make, I'm not one of those people who is really locked down on Facebook. And, you know, if, if I don't know you personally and we haven't known each other forever, you're not my friend. You know, I'm face, I have Facebook friends with a lot of people who, uh, you know, if I meet somebody, I will go find them, on, find them on Facebook and friend them. If I go to a, an attorney event and I sit at a table with seven other people that I didn't know before, I will go friend them all. But I also friend everybody I knew in high school, everybody I knew in college, everybody from law school, I have a very, very large network on Facebook. Um, a lot of people who are professionals will send me friend requests and I can tell they're a lawyer or they're, they live in the same town as me, or and you can tell a lot just from what's public on their page. And so even though I don't know them, I will accept their friend request. There's a lot of people who could walk in the door right now and I wouldn't, I wouldn't know that we were Facebook friends. I wouldn't recognize who they were, but so I, you also don't want to be one of those salesy, obnoxious people on Facebook. Nobody likes the person who is constantly advertising their multi-level marketing products. And that's all they talk about. So you have to be careful about what you're posting from a business perspective. You know, I'll share a lot about, oh, you know, I had a great hearing today. You know, we got everything we wanted. And I won't give out details that are confidential, but I'll put enough information so that everyone knows, or I might snap a picture of myself in front of the courthouse, you know, mm -hmm. off to have a temporary orders hearing or whatever. I also, you know, I do appellate work. And if I have a, things are happening on zoom for oral arguments. So I'll post, Hey, I'm having this oral argument. If anybody wants to watch a lot of people don't care about watching, but that's just a reminder to them. Oh, Hey, she does. This is what she does. I also make a ton of connections through usually Facebook moms groups. I have found them to be, I make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year from Facebook moms groups. There is a certain level of trust there that maybe shouldn't be, but is for all these, you know, 10,000 strangers in this group, but people feel like they know each other. They trust the recommendations they get. And some of the best groups I'm in, you can't advertise and you can't, you know, if somebody asks, hey, I need a recommendation for a divorce lawyer, you can't post yourself and say, I can help. Um, so you have to be careful on what you say and how you say it. But people ask all the time for, hey, you know, um, here's an example that I just saw yesterday. Somebody posted a Facebook group that they've been a stay-at-home mom and marriage isn't going well and she just got offered a job and what should she do? And I say, parentheses, family lawyer here. And then I chime in with my advice that, you know, I would 100% recommend taking the job. And, you know, I see so many stay-at-home moms get destroyed through marriage or get stuck in a bad marriage because of the dynamics of that and all that. So I will, you know, people ask legal questions all the time. Well, how does, does anybody know how child support works or whatever the question may be? And I will chime in with, generic legal information, letting people know that I'm an attorney and, Hey, maybe you should get your advice from all the moms and Facebook about <laughs> this legal issue, especially if it's complicated. 
But over time, you become the expert in the group and everybody knows that either you can help or you know somebody who can help. And so when somebody does ask for that lawyer, um, the divorce lawyer, 10 other people are going to tag me. So I don't have to raise my hand and say I can help because all these other people know that I can. Right, right, right. Um, it, I think it's, uh, it's super smart. And the one thing about the one thing about social media is, is that it's a long game. It doesn't start out immediately like that. It's the engage, the, it's engaging. It's just like any other social network. Even if you were networking in person, it's getting to know people over time and having them be familiar with you and get to know you. I know that some of my, some people I feel know probably more about me than people in IRL in real life are <laughs> people that I've been in copywriter Facebook groups or, um, you know, attorney Facebook groups or whatever for a long time. And they just, over time, you get to know a lot about people that way because we share, it's the daily life diary sort of thing that if you engage regularly in that. And I see it now, I'm, I'm, on, in, I'm on Instagram more now. I made my commitment last year to do Instagram. And I, I'm starting to see kind of what the patterns are emerging on Instagram. It's a different platform doesn't have the same level of conversation um but it but people notice the people who show up regularly and consistently on it so it's it's fascinating to me how, how what an impact that it's a game changer it's a game changer for small firms um just like the internet was a game changer for small firms because it leveled the playing field you can go create a website and people you know, wouldn't know that the layperson doesn't know the difference between your website and a large firm's website um, because you could get a professional-looking website back when that was a new thing. And, and it's the same thing with social media. I think it really levels the playing field because it provides an opportunity for small firms to get out there and get known without having to spend a lot of money. So let's talk about where you are now. <laughs> because you reached a point with your with your team, with your attorney team, where you start saying, okay, I need to, I need to prepare for the next level, maybe build an infrastructure under this team um, and start thinking about your marketing in a different way as, as opposed to marketing Holly Draper, right? What was that transition like for you? What has it been like for you to learn how to communicate differently about your firm. So it's not people coming who just want to hire Holly. Maybe they come with that intention, but how do you handle that and transition them to your other attorneys? Because I know a lot of law firm owners struggle with that as they're growing. Yeah, I think we've really shifted. We've tried to shift the, the focus or the style of our firm from what we were originally, which was more of a value, you know, you just work directly with the attorney, the billable rates are lower, you can get great service without having to pay big prestigious firm prices. And now we're trying, we've kind of rebranded ourselves to try and compete more with the bigger name. Prestigious firms. firm prices. <laughs> yes. So it, it does surprise me when I hear some of the named partners even at these bigger prestigious firms saying, well, how do you get people to agree to work with the associate? And I always tell uh, potential clients during the consult that this is the way it works. You're going to have a partner and an associate and a paralegal on your case. And the associate and paralegal handle most of the day-to-day -day of the case because it is a lot more cost-effective. You know, they're half my billable rate but I'm always overseeing them, handling strategy, big picture, and anything particularly complicated or contested that comes in. And, you know, I had somebody who consulted recently who he's like, he said, are you going to be the one that's going to handle this? Are you going to be the one that goes to court? And I'm at a point now where I say, I can't guarantee you that. Um, the odds are that one of my associates will be handling it. And he said, well, can I ask, can I ask that you be the one to do it? And I said, no, that's not the way our firm operates. I always maintain the discretion to determine who is doing what on any particular case. And at first he said he wasn't going to hire us. And then he came back and changed his mind and he hired us anyway. But right now we do have a lot more business, you know, a lot more potential clients calling than we could possibly handle. So we can 
you know, I make the rules. This is the way it operates. You are hiring me because I have a good track record as a firm and you want to hire me. This is the way it's going to be. And this is the way my cases work. And really, you know, uh, along those same lines, you know, I set the rule that we're not meeting clients in person anymore, unless we think we need to meet clients in person. That's another thing that a lot of attorneys think, well, how do you, how are you virtual? Don't clients insist upon meeting in person? I said, well, if they insist upon an in-person consult, we just say, we're sorry, we don't do that. You know, if you can consult with us via Zoom or there are plenty of other law firms who will meet with you in person. And I'm sure some of them go to those other law firms and that's fine because we have plenty of business coming in. But, you know, we'll push back whenever a client says, we meet in person. Say, well, why? And they'll give their reason. Well, we can meet by Zoom because we're going to accomplish that. And occasionally you get a little bit of pushback, but for the most part, we've set the tone of this is the way our firm operates and you hired us for a reason. So you're going to do things the way that we say we're going to do things. And let's discuss that. You have your, your firm is a, it's distributed. It's virtual. It's distributed. So there, there's no, there's a meeting spot if you need a meeting spot, but you don't really. And all, everybody you hire works from works remotely, mostly from their homes. Um, and that's really been a feature of a benefit of working with your firm in, in when you were hiring. And you've been doing this since the beginning. This isn't something that is uh, that you just started in the pandemic. So what, what made you decide to do it that way at the beginning? Um, way before we ever were all on lockdown. <laughs> well, in the beginning, it was strictly a budget thing. And it was just me. There was no need to be in an office. I always had a virtual office. Used to meet people in person a lot more before COVID. But, you know, I could use however many conference room hours at, at the executive suites place where I had a virtual office. And when I started hiring people, the reason why I hired people I knew to begin with was because I was afraid of hiring people I didn't know to work remotely. Uh, but over time, I got over that, especially with COVID, people got used to working remotely. And I love working from home. It is not for everyone. You know, we had, we've had somebody work with us in the past who felt it was not good for her mental health to be working from home and she needed to be in an office. And so that's one of the things we ask people now, you know, have you ever worked from home? Are you concerned about working from home? And most people, you know, we have a lot of people that come looking for jobs from us because they tasted what working home from home looked like during COVID and they didn't like having to go back to the office. But, you know, we do everything, keep everything in Dropbox. We have our case management system. We'll have Zoom meetings with each other, um, docket meetings with each other. We communicate with each other through Slack. I personally think people are more efficient at home than they are in an office because you don't have somebody walking by, walking in the door, sitting down to chit chat for 15 minutes every time you turn around. And yeah. I think I used to think in order to compete with the prestigious big name family law firms that we had to have a prestigious brick and mortar office. And I don't think that's the case anymore, especially with COVID. Everyone is so used to zooming now and there are a lot of high income earners who work from home. So they are not scared away by the fact that high income earning attorneys do the same thing. Right. Right. How do you sort of keep the, the firm culture? I think that's one of the challenges of people who have distributed remote workers um, is keeping, is creating those bonds between people because the 15 minute chats around the water cooler and the, Oh, it's so-and-so's birthday. Let's bring a cake is where is how a lot of people bond and get loyalty to the firm and all this kind of thing. So how have you created that by doing it with virtual workers? Virtual so teams? even though our work, our team is all virtual, we do try and keep it local so that we can meet in person for happy hour, go to lunch or, you know, do some things in person on a regular basis. Um, last year, we took all the attorneys, we went up to our cabin in Oklahoma and did, you know, we played that. It's a game called I Descent. You know, we played games or we worked on our 
goals for the year uh, for the firm and worked on how are we going to establish this new program that we want to do. And things like that have really helped with team building. I think we right now we're super busy and we have had some turnover. So we have new people and COVID is raging. And it's like, we have got to get together in person because I have got to start building with these new team members and get a camaraderie going and get people to gel together. Mm-hmm. You, uh, I was actually going to bring that up next. So I'm glad that you mentioned that you've had some turnover because like many of uh, women law firm owners, you've had, you've experienced the great resignation or the great reshuffle or whatever it is people are calling it these days, but where people are being uh, recruited away uh, I know certainly a lot of larger law firms are reaching into smaller law firms and making offers to people and poaching them. Um, and also people are thinking grass is greener and moving around and wanting to make changes. And I think COVID has impacted a lot of people in that the things that they may have changed their view on life or they may have to uh, take care of a family member. So they wind up moving away and that changes things. But you've experienced some of that some coming and going within your firm. How have you dealt with that sort of emotionally? Because I think that's a fear that a lot of women law firm owners have is that I'm going to hire these people and then they're going to turn around and leave and and I will have trained them. And that's a loss. I don't want to do that. So how have you dealt with that? It has been a really difficult past four months. Um, Leading up until then, we were just chugging along Things were so smooth. Everybody got along great. Um, I was going on vacation for a couple of weeks and not even thinking about work and coming back and everything was done. It was awesome. And it was not on my radar at all that any of these people would ever be thinking about leaving. And once the first domino fell, it was incredibly stressful for everyone because now we have to pick up the pieces that are left by somebody leaving and you know, of course you have unhappy clients because why did this attorney that was working with me leave? And, you know, you're trying to have a smaller number of people doing this, covering the same amount of cases you had before, trying to quickly hire somebody else to fill in. It was very stressful. And there was a time where I thought, I, this is, is this worth it? You know, do I just scale back down and just make it me and, you know, or me and my partner and our original assistant and, say, screw it. I I just don't want to deal with this. But then I realized, no, it's part of being at the loss is turnover. And we learned a lot from that first person leaving and kind of worked on, okay, these are the things that we need to do so that the next time somebody leaves, it goes more smoothly and coming up with a transition plan of how do we transfer cases of someone who's leaving to someone who's either coming in new or already here. And, you know, we ultimately had a couple more leave. So there was and that was devastating to have at, you know, all three of our associates leave within a very short period of time, but we brought in new people and they're great. And now we need to get them gelling and, you know, I hope they all stay forever. I know they won't. So mm-hmm. hopefully they don't all leave at the same time again, but I think you know, between my partner and I, we've talked about where's the sweet spot, how big do we need to get so that when one person leaves, it's not a huge problem to cover those cases and fan them out amongst the other associates. So I think we've said probably four to five associates might be the sweet spot for that. Right now we're at three. I can see adding one or two in 2022. Um, the business keeps coming in, so we got to have oh, Yeah, that's there. a good, that's a good problem to have. The, I, I think it, uh, there's a couple of things. One is that it shows you, uh, it, it shows you where your systems are weak. Like we have the first one leave, you're looking at it going, oh gosh, like we need to, we need a better system for this or that because we didn't realize that, you know, everything's sitting in her inbox. Like that can't be right, right? So looking, for, having it sort of highlight, and I think that often happens when people leave is it highlights kind of where we've gotten comfortable and maybe a little lax in our, in our systems or whatever, but or just haven't really thought about it. Haven't really thought about what would happen. Um, and to be clear, uh, you've had people leave for 
reasons that really had nothing to do with your firm. Um, just for anybody who's listening and thinks that, oh my gosh, she had all these people, <laughs> like it, everything had had a had a specific um, reason outside of the firm that it kind of happened that way. Um, and how do you how do you sort of not lose the trust when you hire? What is that? What is that like where you have to turn around and hire, and then you're kind of coming around this place of I don't know if I can trust people. Because, you know, I trusted these people and then they left, you know, did you have to sort of process or deal with that at all? Or did that even cross your mind? Yeah, we would have uh, my, my partners in on hiring decisions with me and we would have discussions about what about this person makes us think they're either going to, they're looking for a place to grow and stay long-term or, you know, you, you can look at resumes and see this person has hopped around a lot and they're probably not going to be here very long. Um, but even when there is longevity, I've found that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to stay for a long time. So at the end of the day, we just had to look at everything, look at the factors, talk to the references and take that leap of faith that this is going to be a good fit. And hopefully this person is going to stick around for a long time. Yeah, I I, ha- I have this philosophy um, that I share a lot with my clients, which is that you can't expect to have a business that lasts for 10, 20, 30 years and not have people come and go. Like life just doesn't work that way. This is not the 50s, you know, where people got a job and stayed in that job for 30 years, 40 years, and then got a gold watch and retired. It's not really how it works these days. So I think we have to shore ourselves up and know that this is not a per it's not personal you know the, going back to the four agreements if you haven't read that book read that book but it's a uh, you know don't take anything personally and it's hard it's hard to do because it can feel so personal when it's your business and you're a small firm and there aren't that many of you and you think everybody's getting along great and it's all going right and then somebody ups, up up and leaves you know and you're like wait a minute I, I contributed to you and your success and then you're 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 leaving it can feel disloyal but Mainly, it's never, it's never about, you know, it's usually never about the law firm or the employer. It's usually about something going on with the other person. Um, so what kinds of big shifts, because you've really scaled significantly this past year, um, what kinds of shifts do you think you made that helped you scale to that level? So part of being able to scale to that level was luck because I had a case in the Texas Supreme Court that I won that really put me on the map for referrals from other lawyers. And I would not call that luck, by the way. I would not call that. <laughs> I would call that a lot of hard work, and it was an intentional thing. And you know, there, well, yes, getting the case to begin with was kind of luck. But, you know, obviously I feel pretty proud of the work that we did to get our big victory in that case. But, you know, we, uh, I got, I hired a coach <laughs> to start working last, at the beginning, I was tail end of 2020, because I knew at that time I had hired a couple of associates because of my big Supreme Court case. I knew there was going to be a lot of business coming in but I didn't feel like I had quite enough business to keep them all busy at that time. So I had plenty of money to spend on marketing, but I wanted to make smart choices. I didn't know where to spend it. So I started working with a coach and I started, I ended up starting a podcast, which was completely out of my comfort zone. Never in a million years would have considered it, but it has turned out to be an incredible marketing venue for me. Um, My podcast is Texas Family Law Insiders. And the goal was to target other family lawyers in Texas to help build up my appellate practice. But it has had a lot of other unforeseen benefits. And it has brought in regular clients and it has gotten me a lot of respect. And everybody knows who I am now in Texas Family Law. Um, I also started, you know, running Google ads and doing other things marketing wise and redid my website kind of, that was when I decided we needed to rebrand, you know, I had this big victory and I don't need to be the poor man's low cost attorney anymore. So 
we did a lot of that last year and now we're at, we have added, we went from zero paralegals to three paralegals. We have five lawyers, three paralegals, and we are swamped. So we're having like, do we need to add another lawyer now? We were thinking summer, you know, do we need another paralegal who can float between the between everybody to get overflow? Do we need to stop taking cases for a while? Cause it's just been, (laughs) (laughs) so I, I lean towards it's better to hire somebody else and bring them in and keep taking all the work. So. Well, and I also think uh, uh, I would love for you to share with people your sort of travel schedule this last year and and everything, because you love to travel. And it's one of the things that because you've, added so many people to your team and and come to trust and rely on them to do their jobs that's really freed you up to spend more time with your kids who both have a lot of activities um, that they are involved in and also travel more. You want to talk about some of that? Yeah. So a few years ago, my husband and I made the decision that we wanted to travel the world with our kids and my business was good enough that we could afford to do that. So we started before COVID, we were really taking four big international trips a year. We'd go Thanksgiving, Christmas, spring break, summer. We did Egypt. We did Australia. We did, um, we've done several places in Europe, Mediterranean cruise. We've done a lot of traveling. COVID kind of shut us down a little bit, but in 2021, we went to Hawaii for, I think we were gone for 10 days. Um, for Thanksgiving, we went to Iceland and we have a lot of travel on the books that's hopefully going to happen in 2022. I'm not super optimistic right now, but it was one of my big goals or my vision for my life was to have my business at a place where I could do that and not have to be working when we're traveling, not have to be constantly making sure everything is getting done. Uh, when I was a kid, my, I mentioned my dad was an entrepreneur. He had his own business. He did not believe in hiring people. So we never traveled. We went road trips only it's pre cell phone so that he could pull over every three hours at a gas station on the payphone and check in and make sure everything was going okay with work. And, you know, he always used to say, my mom really wanted to travel. And my dad would say, when I retire, when I retire, well, he never made it. So I kind of made the decision, you know, and then I saw my mom who was, you know, as she was in her sixties and seventies, wanting to travel and not being able to do the things that I would like to be able to do when I travel, because when you're older, sometimes you can't do those things. So we decided we wanted to take advantage of our youth, middle age, (laughs) not youth so much anymore, but you know, we want to see the world while we can, we want to show show the world to our kids. And um, it's been amazing. And hopefully, hopefully COVID's going to go away or get a lot better soon. So we can really get back to it, but it's been great having the business I do to A, be able to fund really pretty extravagant trips and be able to keep having it go without me. Have you had any, um, I, I know that some people, women law firm owners have expressed sort of concern about living their best life and having employees resent them. Have you had any issues like that or thoughts like that? Or, or what, do you, what do you do kind of make that where it's not an issue? So, I mean, as far as our attorneys go, they have a, our policy is very flexible with PTO. And if they want to take vacation, just don't take vacation when I'm taking vacation, you know, they can go take their vacations and, and we offer a bonus structure where the more they work, the more they make. And so I really haven't found it to be a problem. I've heard a snarky comment, joking comment or two about, about things, but I don't think anyone is, anyone resents me for being able to do that. And if they do, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one of the things that you've done that, though is, is that you, you offer that opportunity. For, you don't limit them in the amount of money they can make or in the, or in the flexibility for them to take time off if they want to take a trip or, or whatever you actually encourage that. Um, so, before we wrap up, I do want to talk about your other sort of side hustle. And because I think it's always, it's always fun when people have a business and then have a side hustle. That's the entrepreneur in me who always has side hustles. 
Um, and that is your real estate investments and particularly Broken Bow. So tell me about Broken I had never heard of Broken Bow because I know nothing about Oklahoma. So <laughs> tell me about that and about your, you know, what led you to investing in real estate and kind of how you got started in that. So I've always known that investing in real estate is, I mean, wealthy people usually invest in real estate. And that's usually, there's lots of tax advantages and there's lots of reasons why that is a great way to invest. So we originally figured we'd have some long-term rentals and we had a few and, you know, you might make $500 a month over your expenses. So ultimately we sold those and Broken Bow, it's kind of far Southeastern, Southeastern Oklahoma, right by Arkansas. And it's um, very popular in the DFW area for vacationing. It's about two and a two hours, 45 minutes away from where we live. And Dallas, Fort Worth, Dallas, Fort Worth, for those who don't know what DFW is, right? Yes. Yes. So we start, I started seeing in these Facebook groups that I'm in, there are a lot of realtors who live in the Dallas, Fort Worth area who sell cabins in Broken Bow. And so I would watch what they would say about it. And I knew a handful of people who started investing there and we went on vacation there one spring break and had a lot of fun. And I thought, you know, it was kind of expensive to stay in this cabin. And I guarantee you our one week of spring break more than covered the mortgage. So I started looking into it as investment opportunities. And we invested in our first cabin in June of 2020. We found a spec. We found um, like working with a realtor who knows the builders is a gold is the way to make strike gold because the builders in Broken Bow, it's not like builders in Dallas. It's very, very different. They're small. They, um, you can't contract like you can with Highlander Drees or these other big builders. And so you find a spec where they've just cleared the lot or they've started building it. And our first one closed June of 2020. It appreciated so much over the course of a year. I mean, we netted 80 grand in the first year with that cabin. And when the prices started to go up, I'm sure COVID had a lot to do with that, but people were just getting into investing in short-term rentals a lot too. And we started asking, when do you sell? And somebody had said, well, when you can net on the sale at least four times what you can net in a year, you should sell. So it hit that number. And so we ended up Flipping that, we net, I think, about $350,000 on the sale. And then we flipped that into two other properties. So because you don't want to pay taxes on (laughs) the $350,000 gain. So by doing a 1031 into other properties, we didn't have to pay any taxes on that. We deferred it. And then we own two cabinets. And we would, we project that those will net us $120,000 to $150,000 a year. And we are under contract to build two more there now. Um, Broken Bow is growing very rapidly. It started out as just this tiny little town, but there's a, a lot, a, a lot to do there. The Choctaw just announced that they're going to build a big casino in the area. Um, they're working on bringing in more entertainment venues and everything. So we think it's, even though the prices have gone up dramatically, we still think it's a well worth the investment because of how much, you know, even when COVID goes away, people from the Dallas Fort Worth area and other places that aren't that far away from Broken Bow, they still want to get away. And so we, we, had, we looked at the numbers, we just keep, keep going. And we have a property manager who charges 18% and does pretty much everything. So it's very passive for us. And it's been, you know, I want to get to the point where I don't have to have my law firm gig anymore and we can just travel wherever we want. (laughs) Enjoy, or, you know, I can work as little as I want in my law firm and not have to worry about financing my life quite so much. Right. It is the wealthy woman lawyer dream right there where you're, where you're, creating so much uh, income for yourself, your wealth generating law firm that functions without you. And you are able to invest in other things that generate passive income for you or semi-passive income, depending on how much you want to be involved in something, right? So that's wonderful. 
That's wonderful. Before we wrap up, why don't you tell the, tell us just um, one sort of piece of advice or gold nugget or lesson that you've learned that you think would benefit other women law firm owners who may be kind of a little bit behind you on the journey coming out? What would you, what would you recommend to them to do? So especially if you're just getting started in your own firm, or if you feel like you're floundering, even if you're not floundering and you just want to grow, I think either hiring a private coach or joining a type of mastermind group is huge because I made everything up as I went along and I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And now having worked with you for over a year and having, you know, been involved in mastermind groups, you just streamline the process of learning those things so much and you don't know what you don't know. So I kind of worried before I hired a coach, am I going to have to work a lot more? Am I going to have to do this cookie cutter plan to build the stereotypical law firm, which I didn't want, but that's not how it's been at all. It's been, how do I get to do what I want to do and how do I build what I want to build? And I've been pushed out of my comfort zone and done things I never thought I would do, but it has paid off. I mean, hundredfold of what I put in financially. Awesome. Awesome. That makes me so happy to hear. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Love it. And you and I met on through Facebook. Uh, we became Facebook friends just by accepting each other's friend requests when we didn't even know each other. And uh and just, you know, followed each other for a while and that kind of thing. And and then I think you probably heard of my podcast. And that sort of got you got to know a little bit better and stuff. Which is great because now it's sort of working for you to have your podcast out there and people getting to, to know you. It's not for everybody, but I do think it's a terrific way to expand your network. And as an influencer, you know, that's something that you do really, really well. And I'm excited to see what the future holds for you uh, in 2022 because we've got big plans, big plans. <laughs> I'm excited. We, yes. we can get, get some good stability going, then we'll... Uh... Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much, Holly, for being here. And I think you've shared some really terrific ideas for other women law firm owners. I love the uniqueness of your approach. And uh, you also challenged me as well, because you have a different perspective. And I always enjoy um, hearing your perspective and where you're coming from. And, and you've certainly been very successful um, as a business owner. And so... I thank you for being here and sharing because I think a lot of people are really going to benefit from this podcast. Well, thanks for having me. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the league in the coming year, including the exclusive million dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. Lead is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.